Let's pray. Lord, we recognize you. We stop and we consider you. We do not do this, Lord, because we have this massive need now that you have to come and meet and help us with. But we have a desire and a longing. Our deepest longing is to worship you. And we look, Lord God, into your face. We can't see it physically, we know. But we look at you, the nature of God, the character of God. We do not look for the hand of God first to say, please give us this. We look towards you and we recognize who you are. You're a great and mighty God and there's no one like you. And so even as we share from your word right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that it is not man that we're looking at and unto. It is your word and the truth from your word, and I therefore pray that you will help me to let this not be about me or even us, but about you and what you want to say. Holy Spirit, we gladly welcome you as the one that will stir our hearts even more, as you have done already during worship. I pray that you will stir our hearts towards you and and obedience to you and that our ears will not be tickled through this word but our hearts will be convicted about the truth of who God is and that our minds will recognize that there's a there's a response required and our spirits will say yes here I am use me send me mold me change me father I pray for this your precious name. Amen. Amen. Chris, could you put up that picture for us? I'm going to use this picture as an introduction into our message, but actually just more than that. I believe there's something prophetic about this picture. I don't know how many of you have ever seen this. But if I can explain to those of you that are I'm listening to this message, you can't see this, but I will be explaining that this is a, a, a picture that we have here on the screen of a piece of metal and printed and fused onto that piece of metal or almost stuck onto it is a page from the Bible. This was found on March the 30th, 2002. More than six months after the Twin Towers collapsed. September 11 was, was commemorated again a couple of weeks ago. Thousands of people were killed in another story. And they rescued items from the rubble over the months subsequent to that date. And on March the 30th, a firefighter came upon this. And he found this piece of metal with this one page, Matthew 5, imprinted, fused, almost mounted onto it, but the word still clear there. And one of the things that, that stand out from that, that page that is imprinted there, Matthew 5, and actually last year, was it this year, it was somewhere this year, we were preaching about 
about this, and and it's that portion where that piece from the whole word of God that was protected and that was preserved says, amongst other things, but I say to you, do not retaliate. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Amazing. After all of that, there's one page from the Bible that came out of two buildings that collapsed, massive buildings. And this is found in the National Memorial Museum in New York, where they collected this and keep this as a memorial. What I'm trying to say is that the Word of God and the work of God will never stop. Nothing can ever stop what God intends to do. And so, I need to get my watch so that I can have time. And you also, amen, thank God for that. Eh? <laughs> the point is, is that whatever God intends for us and for our lives will not be stopped by mere man's resistance to it and even man's sinful acts. And so we're living in a world where we have opposition. And when we talk about the God of promise, as we have been over the last couple of weeks, we've got to know that what God intends, what God promises, what God plans will come to fruition, will be experienced. Because He is faithful to see His word fulfilled. He is faithful to see a word like that, that simple picture. He will protect it because He has good plans for us. And so there's a message even in that. And there's a message even that for us. Go back to that picture, would you? I just want to keep it up there. There's a message in this for us, even as a church, going through what we're going through. And as we just prayed earlier on for about people returning and people coming to God and come, people returning to God, I want to say to you that no fire that is around us will be able to prevent what God has planned and has purposed for His people. And so don't give up. Don't fall into despair when you look at the surroundings. Don't look around and say, oh, I wonder what this and what that. Is there a future? No. And I speak to many church leaders from across the world, actually. That doesn't make me anybody special. I'm just privileged to have friends across the world. But I hear the same story of, where are they? And we thank God for what we see in front of us. And we thank God for faces and names and people that will reappear again and that people will come into a, a relationship with Him because no fire can stop His work. And when we look today at, at just a story from a prominent figure of the New Testament, I want to show you how He went through fires, but how He held on to the God of promise to experience the promises of God and through that, bring us what we actually have today, about three quarters of the New Testament. And a man called Paul is what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to take you to a book that it seems like it's called the Unknown Letter of Paul. A letter that is least known amongst all his letters. A one that is perhaps read the least and spoken of the least. And it's a letter, the second letter to Corinthians. 
So we're going to just park here a little bit today and, and try to see how God of promise could stay so faithful and help us to be faithful to His promises and through that, come through fire. And believe me, Paul had gone through extreme fires. Just something about Paul and his, his history with the city called Corinth. That's where the letter comes from. He wrote to the believers in the city of Corinth, hence named Corinthians. He visited them in Acts 18. We read about him arriving at the city and staying there about 18 months. Had an amazing time and then left. And it seemed like he wrote four letters. Two of them are preserved for us still today. Other two is kind of like missing somewhere. Um, but 1 Corinthians is a letter that he wrote mainly addressing issues in the lives of the believers in Corinth. So he talks about divisions amongst them. And then when I look at this, I'm like, oh, it does look a little bit divided, hey? I hope that your hearts are not in the, in the, the same as well, how we, our seating arrangement is. But um, Paul, Paul talks about it in the first letter to Corinthians. He says, guys, don't be divided. Don't say, oh, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul and, and I prefer to, you know, have only connections here and not there. I trust that's not relevant here. Paul continues to talk about issues like marriage and, and he encourages people about that. And, and he talks about spiritual gifts and, and he talks about sexual immorality. And he addresses that in the life of the church, not just the world out there. He speaks to brothers and sisters and guys, what are you doing? It's just absurd. Stop it. Talks about that. Talks about settling of disputes and, and other things. And, and then we come to the second letter of Paul. We know he speaks to the church. And it seems like in the second letter, he talks about himself. And not in a selfish manner. He talks about how the church is actually responding to him and what they're saying of him and how he's trying to, in a sense, defend himself and, and, and reveal some of, the, some of the very personal things that he had gone through. And so that's why they say 2 Corinthians is probably the most personal letter from Paul that we find. There's so much detail about his life that it almost looks like an autobiography. If you really look through it. It's a letter from his heart where, where we see him more clearly perhaps than anywhere else in scripture. It talks about his, his battles and stuff that he had gone through. And he addresses issues that people had with him and also shares with us many of the challenges where he went through. And, and it seems like when you consider that, that, that piece of metal in the Bible and, and the context around it that Paul talks about the fires that he had gone through. And what sustained him as he went through those fires. And this is where I want to start off from, is to see what did sustain him. What helped him to be strong, established. And then we'll look at some of these fires. And through that help us understand that there's something that God wants to speak to us about. And the title of this message this morning is God's Yes and Our Amen. God's Yes and Our Amen. And we'll get to understanding that more in detail. So would you just pick up your Bibles with me now that we have given you an introduction. You all with me? Yeah. We're all reading from which book? Letter? Second Corinthians. Well done. It's after 
first Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> so that's easy, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you from verse 18 to 22. We're going to spend a bit of time on this portion. And, and we don't have time to go into all the detail of what led up to this moment. But Paul was actually just accused of not keeping his word. They said to him, Paul, you told us that you'll come back. And so Paul is responding to that. And, and it says here, listen guys, I was not vacillating in verse 17. I was not, you know, kind of putting off and putting off and putting off. There was a reason. He says, when I say yes, it is yes. And when I say no, it is no. But by the way, we shouldn't have a yes and a no. We should have a yes or a no. You know the difference? A yes and no is, what is that? What you, uh, if you ask me my answer, yeah, yes, no, sort of. It doesn't say anything, does it? It's a yes or a no. A no is not bad, but and by the time, by the way, it's good to have a no. There's certain things that you need to say no for, and certain things that we need to say yes to. Amen? You've said yes this morning to come. Well done. Don't say no while you're sitting here and not listening. This now. Alright, so there's a yes and a no for you. You can have a yes by being here, you can have a no in your heart by not being here. Please. So just check your yes right now. If it's applicable or is it interrupted or interfered by a no. Anyway, that was just for free, you know? <laughs> Paul says here in verse 18 of chapter 1, As truly as God is faithful, say with me, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's saying, as surely as God is faithful. He's been accused of stuff, so he brings God into the picture. He says, God's going to understand that I'm not able to actually be as faithful because God is faithful. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. See that? He says, I never said that to you. It says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim, not, whom we proclaim among you rather, Silvanus and Timothy and I, these guys, we all proclaim it, he was not yes, and the word, what comes between yes and no? Ah, good, that's a simple one. He said, God was not like that, he was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Now, this does not mean that God says yes to everything that you want to do. This is in the light of God's promises and His faithfulness. God says, I will always be faithful. I will always say yes in my faithfulness and my commitment to you. Alright? We have a lot of things that are told one to another where it includes a yes, but sometimes it actually has a no to it as well. So beware. If you can't say yes, don't Say yes. Rather say no. But don't say yes and no. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. You know that Bible teaches us that too. So anyway, Paul says further on, as we read this beautiful portion, he says, for the promises of God find their yes in who? In Him. Not in me. Not in you. But in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen. Our amen is said in line of his yes. So our response is an amen. He has said yes. We'll go into that a little bit more now. 
says, and that is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who established us with you, us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul is firstly saying God is faithful. When God promises something to us, it is never yes and no. It is always yes. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not a yes and no. It's a definite so when you read the promises that says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness, is that a yes and a no? Or only an a? So all the promises of God are yes in him because he is faithful. Just stay with me in this. This is, this is such important stuff for us to understand about the God of promise. So his promises are, never, are not given to make us unsure about his commitment to us. It should always be connected to his unwavering character. But if you don't know the character of God, then the promises of God are also unstable in your life. You look at what he said, you want to know, is this a yes or a no? Will he, should he, or can he? I don't know. Is he able to? Can God, in the midst of roaring waters and loud voices, protect me? Can he? Then your your perception of God and His nature is a yes and a no nature. But if you know that He is faithful and He is consistent and He is able, then there's no yes and no involved in that. It's a definite yes. Absolutely. So when God does what He said He would, even when we are in fire, He does the following. Listen to what it says in verse 21. I love this word. It says, and it is God then who establishes us. Establishes us. Now, now you've got to understand this word wider than just what it says there. It, there's a Greek word here called beba eo. Beba eo. Beba eo. It doesn't really make sense to us, does it? But really what it means is the following. It means that we can walk where it is solid. So when God says, my promises to you and my faithfulness and my commitment to you to keep my promise that is always yes, establishes you. It enables you to be strengthened, to be secure, and to walk on something that's solid. How many of you walked on something that you feel, whoa, is a bit unsure? You know, I don't know if, um, what example we could use, probably... Uh, sitting in a boat that's that's toppled over to and fro by, by the waves and you feel unsure and when you get to the land you're so thankful for solid ground again, isn't it? Um, or you're up in a plane and, and there's all sorts of you know, um, shaking going on and you eventually land and you're just so thankful for it. That's, mean, that's the same kind of picture that you have is that in the midst of all the stuff that we're going through we can walk on solid ground. And God is our solid ground. He promises certain things. He says, if you if you messed up and you come to me, I'll receive you. If you go into the fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll be the fourth person in the fire with you. And yet, there will be fires, but I will not. Sorry, I can't join you in this one. He will be there with us because he's a faithful, surely God is faithful. 
as Paul wrote here. So in other words, when God speaks a promise to us, it has all the potential to make us walk on solid ground because of the consistent and faithful nature of God. Do you see that? You're going to meditate on that and say, what God says is able to to keep to and stick to because his nature is faithful and consistent and what he promises he will help me through because that will enable me to be established and walk on solid ground. And so friend this morning if you feel that you're on some shaky ground maybe it's not the ground's fault but it's your fault and your perspective of God of who he is. You need to return to the place where you understand that he's a loving father, he's a kind God, he's a forgiving Savior, he's a mighty God. And if that is restored, that image of this incredible God is restored to you, then maybe that will create greater stability to the ground that you're working on. Do you see that? So in a sense, when we say, oh God, please give me more faith, you've got to go to God and say, God, show me more who you are so that my faith can be established by who you are. And not just this, you know, we buy faith from the shelf. Oh God, please just, you know, bless me with more faith. You've got to get to know this God of faith, this God of promises, God of faithfulness, be able to have solid ground to walk on. Now let's look at what Paul says ought to be our response to God's yes. That's what we found earlier on. In verse 20, the latter part of verse 20. It says the following. Let's read 20 again. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His book. So in other words, there's something that we need to say. Something that we need to be confident of. We need to be confident in God, that He is faithful, that He is able, that He will fulfill His promises. And my response is, Amen. Amen. And we, we, we use that word so often, we're like, oh God, come on, please give me an Amen. It's lovely to get some feedback. But really what an Amen simply means is, so let it be. And so what we say to God, amen to his yes to me, I say, God, so let it be. Your word promises it. I'm in agreement with what you say and what you've said. I'm affirming that you are able to. In other words, what God established for us and in us should enable us to say amen to him in any given situation we might face. So God has done everything that needed to be done. And he's on top of that giving us promises. Okay? And with that promise comes his faithful character. Where he says, yes, I will. And that establishes me, as we've just seen. Gives me solid ground to walk on. Then my response, as I'm established on this, is, amen. I know you will. I can't fully see it right now. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work. But I trust you. I can walk on solid ground. Because whatever situation we could find ourselves in, God is saying yes to us through the promises made to us 
way before we got into our situation. So there are promises that you still will seek to fulfillment to come to fulfillment in your life because you've not entered that particular fire yet. But you know God's word already says yes, that when you get to it, it will be there to cover you. You've got to just believe. So amen. So amen. I know my God will never leave me nor forsake me. So I feel forsaken, I feel alone, but I'm going to say amen because he's actually with me. He's actually with me. So he proclaims a yes over us through his promises that are made. And we need to believe that and respond with faith through an amen. An amen is agreeing with God, who God is, and his faithfulness to us. And so I want to ask you, are you living with an amen currently in your life? Or is it, I don't know. What is coming forth? And you know, worship this morning earlier could have been an amen moment for you and me. Or it could have been a, uh, I don't know, I read this song. His goodness is running after me. His kindness overwhelms me. I don't know, is that true? It's not an amen in our hearts, is it? It's our wonder. So my sincere question to you right now is, is there an amen to God's yes in your life, in my life? Is it a, are you in agreement with the fact that He's able to sustain and carry us and deliver us from any situation or issue that's overwhelming and beyond our ability to handle? I think the problem is that we often don't give God an amen but we give somebody else an amen. I think we hear stories, we hear lies, we hear rumors, we hear the roaring of many waters, and we give the devil an amen. So that's true. This is going to happen. I know for sure. I can see the signs. I don't know if this could ever change. So we become, we agree with what the devil says and what he's doing instead of what God has already done and has spoken. And you're not worshiping the devil. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying your amen is going the wrong way. Possibly. Mine. God says yes. Our response is an amen. How's our amen doing? Is it going to God? Is there an amen to God? Or is there an amen what people are saying. Yeah, oh, amen. Yeah, amen. It's true. Oh, uh, this year, I'm not going to have good rains, eh? <laughs> no, amen. Amen. And look at the economy. Amen. Yeah, no, I don't use amen, but that's what I'm saying. I'm in agreement. So watch what you agree with today. Uh, this guy will never change. No, no, it's not that leopard. You know, how can you change the spots on the left line? You'll always have spots. And I don't ever coming to Christ, you know, I'm looking over their eyes and, no, no, never, never, never. And my finances, whatever, you know, relationally, no, this marriage is just an mess. It will never change, never change. Might as well just get a divorce. So I'm amening to what the devil is doing. God says yes. God says nothing is impossible. I'm amening to the fact that God cannot do it. 
are you in agreement with this morning? In agreement with what God's saying, with His Word? In agreement with the principles from the Word that stand out clearly in the promises? Or in agreement with somebody else? Or maybe not even in agreement with the devil and the lies, but what's happening is your amen to God is being stolen by the cares of this world, anxieties around you, the busyness. And there's, there's one amen that is often stolen by the busyness in our lives. And it's an amen in His presence where I'll just sit down, just simply read the Bible, and I become in harmony, I come in harmony with Him. And that's a beautiful amen that I give Him. Just my time for Him, my, 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 my passion for Him. My love for him. That's an amen, folks. So how's your amen today? The key word is, is found in there. It's called in Christ. It says all the promises of God find their yes in him. Verse 21, it says, And then it's God who establishes us with you in Christ. So the word in is absolutely key. And what it really means is that in Christ refers to our union, our harmony, and our intimate bond we have with Him. I'm in Him. I'm not just with Him. I'm not just aware of Him, but I'm in Him. And in Him is not something that you and I can accomplish. It's something that Christ has done for us through His death on the cross. That I can be in Him as I respond in faith to walk with Him. And that brings me in relationship with God. That's really what the word in means. And so the key here to hearing God's yes and giving Him an amen is the word I am in. My amen comes from my inness, my unity, my union, my harmony with Him. It's not a mental thing of, yeah, amen, I know you will. No, it's a, a relational connection that I have and I know and I know that I know. How many times has it not happened to you that you that you hear somebody has said this or said something, somebody that you know well and, and you hear a story about them and you hear that somebody said, oh yeah, yeah, so and so did that. You think, no, 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 I know this person. She has can't be true. There's something wrong here. This is not adding up. See when two is not making four. It's like, can't be. And often it is true that, that it was a rumor. It was like a misunderstanding. Or, and we realize, yeah, I'm glad I didn't fully, fully run after that rumor. Because my relationship with Kilton is, is strong enough that when I hear a thing about him that others say, like, no, no, I'm not Kilton. I don't think that's necessarily true. My illness will protect his character and the whole be in agreement that it just can't be true. And I, I want to say to you that, that our relationship, our harmony with God will help us to agree with what he says. It's not just a mental agreement, an intellectual one that's an AI, okay, we probably will. No, it's a sincere one where I say, I know that I know that I know. May our amen 
come from our union, our unity with God, our relationship with Him. I want to give you just, there's a couple of examples here of, of what it means to be in Christ. And I'm, I'm not going to go through that. We don't have enough time. But I, I just want to show you just from Scripture. And I want you to write these down. Would you? And, and by the way, if you, if you can't write down now, come and take a picture of them quickly or something. But these are brilliant verses on being in Christ to help you understand the, the full impact of what it means to be in Christ. I'm going to read you just one. It says, Romans 6, verse 11, it says the following. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're able to live for Him and be alive unto Him when you recognize that you are in Him because of what He has done for us. That in is a beautiful, beautiful understanding that I believe we need to have. 2 Corinthians, we in that book. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the other one there. It says, therefore, if anyone is, what's the word? In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's what it means to be in Christ. So your amen becomes more possible when you recognize what it means to be in Christ. Do you understand? Your understanding of this incredible union and, and harmony and connection with Christ rises in your heart and in your spirit. And then your amen to His yes promises become more and more possible. Do you see it? Thank you for that response. <laughs> yes, I, I think I'm seeing it and I, I want to grow more in it but, but please come and be excited with me there's, there's something great that can come our amen will become louder it will become clearer it will become visible this city needs more people to say amen to God come on come on amen oh yeah, I didn't mean that but amen amen <laughs> It's from this understanding of being in Christ that Paul believed the promises of God because he was connected to the God of promise. And as he then went through major challenges, as described through this semi-autobiography, 2 Corinthians, we see that he said amen to God's yes as he went through these things. I want to share with you just the next slide. There's a brief look at these challenges of Paul as we as we reflect on them a little bit. And again, I'm not going to take you through here each one of them in, the, in detail. But just chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, listen to what Paul is writing about what he's going through himself. He's talking about affliction and suffering. And, and chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For doing, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were utterly burdened. Say with me, burdened. Oh, beyond our strength that we despaired. Say with me, despaired. The spirit of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. How's that, eh? How many of you received that ever? You're still alive, yeah? Received that then, eh? No, it's just an amazing thing that happened here. But that, verse um, 9b, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God, who raises the dead. He understood something about the yes, promise-making God. 
And he could say amen in the midst of that. In the, verse 10 it says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul is saying, just some of the stuff that he went through. We, we see that he was very severely criticized in, in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. He says the following in verses 8. He says, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say that people are talking about my letters. I'm paraphrasing. He's saying, people are saying, when I write, he says, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and he speaks of no account. That's what people said about Paul. Severely criticizing. Have you ever read that about Paul? So here's, in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, guys, this is what is being said of me. People came and actually tried to destroy my work amongst you. We read that he had major opposition because of this criticism and in verses 3 to 4 of chapter 11, it says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from my sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How will that happen? You could ask. Verse 4 says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He's actually warning them, saying, guys, there are people amongst you that would love to come and deceive you. And what we taught you, the pure gospel, there's an opposition to that. So Paul's going through this, and, and just, I've got to share with you this one. I've got to go back. This is such an amazing thing that he went through, which was not comfortable. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to that one again. Verses 8 to 12. It says, this is what I went through, Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Hey, that's a pretty tough ordeal. Hey? This is some fire. Come on. This is a serious fire. How did he manage through that? He must have had an understanding of the yes, God. That the promises of God are yes, that it says, I will be faithful. And Paul was saying, even if I'm in the midst of this great affliction and opposition and criticism, I can say, Amen, God. I'm going through this stuff, but I'm declaring an amen because I'm in you. I have found identity in you. I'm secure in you. I'm established in you. I can walk on solid ground because I'm in you. Therefore, I can give an amen to God's yes. May I just finally give you a final amen that Paul encourages us to have. In the midst of all this, an amen to God is found in 2 Corinthians 7, chapter, 1, verse, chapter 7, verse 1. I'll read it. He's talking again about these promises. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us. Say with me, let us. Yes. Let us. He's talking to us. He's not saying let you. He's saying let us. Who's involved in us? Us. You and me. Individually. Corporately. All of us. 
He says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He's saying, guys, one of the best amens you can give is to say amen to living holy before my God. To forsake any sin in my heart that is not pleasing unto my Father. No sin is pleasing unto the Father. To forsake anything that opposes what God says I should do and should be. And we talk about sin in this church because we talk about God in this church. And we have to be real with one another and say, any sin in my life is an amen to the devil. And any repentance and any silent repentance in my life is an amen to God. Because Paul says in verses 8 to 10 of the same chapter, he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, because he was confronting them about issues, eh? Speaking straight into their lives. First Corinthians. He says, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, although only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief, he says, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. An amen to the devil that says, I can keep on doing what I'm doing. I can keep on living in sin. I can keep on doing it my way. Produces death, ladies and gentlemen. But an amen to God that comes from regret and godly, godly regret and godly sorrow produces life. And that's a great amen to him. God says, my promise, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to cleanse you, to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I say amen to God. I thank you for that. So my amen is when I recognize my own sin, through grieving for sinning against him and repenting of him. It's not only, my amen is not only grieving with what he promises towards me, but it is also grieving that I'm confronted with sin in my life and turning from it. I close, and I want to ask us to prepare our hearts for communion. I want you to, this morning, as we break bread, I want you to come to the table. <coughs> Those of you that have an understanding of who Jesus is and have confessed your sins before Him, have repented of your sins, and have given your life to Christ and said, I surrender my life, the table is open. The communion elements are open for you. It's not just a, a ritual that we do. This is an incredibly holy moment. And in this moment, this morning, is a possibility of an amen from us. God says, I give you eternal life. I give you, I give you redemption from your sins. I give you hope and I walk with me. I give you companionship. I give you uh, the promise that I will sustain you. I will establish you. And as we take from the bread and drink from the cup this morning, let us not do a physical deed only. But let us do a deep, deep spiritual response towards Him. It says, Amen. Here's my life. I give it to you. But before we do that, let's make sure 
that if there's anything in our lives that have actually been an amen to the enemy, amen to the flesh, amen to my, my fleshly desires that I've been living with, and that I've actually just not come to repent of. Don't walk with that stuff and go and take the communion this morning. I want to ask you to repent of an amen to the devil and bring an amen to God into your life if that's necessary. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we are encouraged today about your yes that is so consistent, that is so stable, that is so evident. And how your yes establishes us as we are in relationship with you, in unity with you, in harmony with you. And that out of that union, Lord God, there's this incredible amen that we can express. That we also agree with you. Our lives, not just our mouths, Lord God, but our lives we want to bring in agreement to you. And before we break bread right now, Lord God, I pray for the Spirit. If you will help us search our hearts. That if there's any area in our lives today, Lord God, that has been in agreement with the enemy and not in agreement with you, I pray that we will repent right now. I'll give you an opportunity right now, but to sit before the Lord, close your eyes, because it helps you just to not to be distracted. I ask you just to take some time. Say, God, whatever amen I've given to other voices in my life, instead of the voice from heaven, the voice from the Bible, your voice, your Holy Spirit, I repent of giving an amen, of being in agreement with the enemy and with lies and with rumors. Father, today we thank you that you cleanse us and you forgive us from those agreements that we've made. I thank you for your deliverance from a lifestyle, in a sense, sometimes even, of constantly being in agreement with the enemy and with lies. We want to turn that around this morning, Lord God, as we repent of it. So we want to come in harmony with your promises, with you as the God of promise, and agree with you that you are faithful as surely as God is faithful. I'm going to agree with that. I want to say a big amen to you right now. So Father, right now as we, as we also just break bread together, for the Holy Spirit, that you will help us to let this be a sincere act of worship to you.